Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. Before we get started, we just want to remind our listeners that the kind of information that you're going to hear today can be emotionally difficult for anyone and potentially triggering for survivors of trauma. So please don't hesitate to reach out for support if you need to, whether to friends, family, or anonymous hotlines. You can find resource information for survivors on the Take Back the Night Foundation website as well. We will share that address with you at the conclusion of the podcast. Thanks so much, Claire. And as we usually do, we're going to start out hearing from a survivor who wrote to me at some point in their uh, lifetime with their own story and Dear Katie kind of letter. Dear Katie, thanks for writing. I appreciate your encourage and advice. Right now, things are improving slowly. I am beginning to develop some male friends that are helping me by simply being nice guys. They don't know about the rape. Well, two do. Yet, by simply treating me well, it's helping me appreciate myself and helping me trust men again, although it will be a long time before I heal. I am dealing with guilt right now that I didn't stop him, that I actually wanted to have sex with him, but not the way it happened, that I am no longer a virgin. It's hard for me to believe that any guy would want me now. I feel used in some ways. Among the Christian community, I know that if they knew, I would be condemned as a slut. Eventually, I would like to marry a nice Christian guy. And I wonder if when I tell them I'm not a virgin that they would see me as damaged goods and toss me aside. That's how I was raised. To believe that no guy, no nice guy you would like to marry wants a girl that's not a virgin. It's hard to believe in myself right now. I tell myself a lot, out loud. You'll be okay. You will be okay when I'm down, that the depression isn't permanent. Things will work out. I feel I'm going through this alone sometimes. Although I have friends I trust immensely and people like you who understand. Like you said, it would help if I had a man to help me through this, but I do not. No one person to stick with me. No parents on my side. Just me. But that's almost making me stronger. It's a beautiful thing in the end to come out more independent and sure of myself. I can turn this horrible event into something to grow from and glean wisdom about myself from. I realize now that men who are only after one thing do exist. And I'm more careful now. It's healthy because I was so naive before. Too bad we don't live in a world where people can be naive and still survive. I write a lot of essays and journaling. It helps. I feel a little better every day. I had decided for a while that I would never go back my hometown again. But then, then I decided I wouldn't let that bastard ruin my plans. I refused to let him do that. Okay, so I'm a little angry too. That's okay. It's healthy. Jake can keep up your hard work. I appreciate your dedication to this cause. With much gratitude. 
Wow, so powerful. And thank you all of us for supporting that survivor in their own journey, um, wherever they may be at this point in time. And tonight, today, we are with Jasmine. Jasmine, uh, you are our featured guest, our survivor of the moment, and we are so excited to hear about your journey, your your experience. If you would kindly just share a little bit about your background, who you are, and where you are at this time and, and place. Yeah, so my name is Jasmine, and I'm 27. Um, I am in Los Angeles, California, and I work in law enforcement, and I had my experience, my assault happened when I was uh, 20 at the time. Um, so it's been quite some time since that happened. And I wrote to you initially to pretty much gain some closure and just to tell my story and hope that it would help other people that have also been through the same experience. Thanks, Jasmine. Um, let's just roll back. So right now you're 27, you're in LA, you were in law enforcement. And this experience happened when you were how old again? I was 20. When you were 20. So let's let's go back in that space and place. When you were 20, what was it that happened to you? So at the time, I had just gone out of a long-term relationship with my first boyfriend. And I met him when I was 16. And we broke up a little bit before my 21st birthday. And or it, was, it was a little bit before my 20th birthday. And I had gone out with some friends. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was November, 7, November 7th of 2013. Um, one of my friends had invited me to go to a party with her, you know, freshly out of a breakup. I was still living with my ex at the time as well. And we went out to one of her friend's house. They had just moved in. They were having kind of like a housewarming party and so we went and it was me and my friend and her cousin we all went out we drank a ton far more than I should have uh recently coming out of my first breakup and the end of that relationship that I thought at the moment was everything to me by the end of the night I had blacked out my friends had taken me home I which I remember going up the stairs, I was on the second floor, trying to get into my apartment. And I was so drunk, I couldn't figure out how to open the door. Eventually, we get in, my ex is sleeping on the couch, and my friends try to help me to get into bed. Um, at that point, I was so drunk that I was trying to set my alarm for work the next morning. And I was freaking out saying, I have to go to work. I have to go to work. No matter what, I have to go to work. What I didn't realize is I was trying to set my alarm for the next morning on my car keys. I was that drunk that I couldn't tell the difference between the car keys and my cell phone. And so my friend goes and she wakes up my ex-boyfriend saying, can you help her? She's trying to set an alarm for work tomorrow. So he wakes up, comes into the room. They think everything's okay and they leave. I remember rolling over and throwing up all over the floor. I had one of those clear storage containers that had a ton of makeup and perfume and lotion, just the stuff like you collect over the years. And I had thrown up all over it. It was a mess. And that was the last thing that I remember. So fast forward to the next morning, I wake up and 
I felt so different. I tried getting out of bed and my collarbone hurt. It felt like there was a weight on my chest. It was sensitive to touch. Um, I had fallen down the night before, so getting out of bed, I could barely walk. So the second I woke up, I knew something was wrong. I walked over to the bathroom, and there's a pink post-it. I will never forget that pink post-it on the center of my bathroom mirror. All it said was, go get plan B. So when I saw that, I knew something was wrong, and I knew that my ex had assaulted me that night. So I began to go through all of the emotions, and, you know, initially, I'm just shocked. I see this letter, this pink post-it, and I'm trying to understand what could have happened. My memories from the night before, they just weren't there. The last thing I remembered was throwing up everywhere. So I proceed to call my ex-boyfriend, and I, I am screaming at him, and I say, what is this, this letter? What is this post-it? And he goes, we had sex last night. You need to go get plan B. So I start screaming at him saying, you need to come home right now that you assaulted me. I was drunk. I don't remember anything. He leaves his job and he comes back. While I was waiting for him to come home, I called my mom. I told her what happened immediately. And she was like, he raped you. What do you want to do? At the time, I was so shocked. I didn't know what to do. I just wanted to talk to him and see what could have happened. He comes back to the house and I'm crying at this point. And I'm trying to understand what happened. And I asked him, tell me, please explain to me what happened. I want to know, did I initiate something? Did I do something to make you think that that's what I wanted? And he said, no. Very clearly, he said, no, you didn't. You were crying and you said you were sorry for the breakup and about what happened, but you did not initiate wanting that. He said you were drunk and it just happened. So then I call my mom, I call my friends. I don't know what to do. He admitted to everything. He said, I did not want any of it. And at the time, I wasn't very close with my mom. I got kicked out young. Um, I moved in with this guy when I was 17. So this was all that I knew. And so I had to live with him for several months after the assault until I found a place. I couch surfed. I stayed at friends' houses. I jumped into another relationship very quickly and stayed there as often as I could until I got a place in January. So about two months of still having to live with my ex after this happened and trying to work through those emotions while he's still physically there. That must have been so incredibly difficult. It was so hard and it was very confusing because this is someone that I was with for so long. And this was the only relationship that I had known. It was hard because I blamed myself a lot for getting so drunk and for not seeing the warning signs. He was never this amazing guy. There was abuse early on. He had stolen things from my mom, but I was so young and naive. I didn't see it, but it wasn't easy for a long time. I struggled shortly after that. um, I wanted to kill myself. And for me, that was a huge waking point for me because I remember I had been drinking with some friends. This was after I had moved out and I was struggling really bad with telling like some of the people in my life what was going on. And I told my friends, I was like, I'm going to hang myself. Before you go any further, I really want to back up and own the dark place you just described. You know, don't don't keep talking when you say I wanted to die. I wanted to kill myself. Oh my gosh, my heart's just breaking right now. That's 
that's huge and it 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 merits a lot more dig in like let's let's go to that place because you know you're a survivor who's willing to talk about that and Mm -hmm. you're not alone there are so many who have felt that space place where i can't go on i don't know how to go on so Mm -hmm. if we roll back and trying to help everyone with your own story what was it exactly if you can or two or three things that said to you I'm worth less than living I think for me it was more not wanting to live was about not wanting to feel that pain and that guilt I felt so upset with myself in those moments for letting this happen I had so much guilt and I didn't feel comfortable in my own body after this happened. I felt so violated and it just didn't feel like my own body was mine after he had taken that from me. It felt less than real. It felt like I didn't have any control over what happens to my own body. And the lack of control is what the trigger was to say, if I have no control, how can I possibly keep going? Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I felt like I couldn't keep going if I didn't have that control over my own body. And, and I think I think what our listeners need to hear is that it was one night of your life. Out of all mm-hmm. the days of your life, it was that one day that created such a dark hole in your control yeah. and sense thereof that led you to that moment. Jasmine, I just think it's so important that you say that because... For so many, that seems perhaps crazy. Like, how can one day of your life have such an indelible imprint? But your testimony that it is, right? Yeah, it does. It does. It affects the way you feel in your own body. It affects the way you see yourself, the way you see your own body. You know, one day can impact everything for you. You know, the way I personally and so many survivors along the way, Jasmine, would describe that feeling, it's like, we have to say, what is it to be human? And to be human means to have that authentic self and control. And then you kind of sit on that teeter totter of when this happened to me, how much did I cause being out of control versus how, did, how much did someone just rob all of me of control? You know, there's that teeter-totter and, and it's it's almost like a dual-edged sword to me because even if we could blame 100% on our perpetrator and say, you robbed me of everything, that's not the whole equation. I feel like the other side of that seesaw is also really important because that's the societal part that pushes in on our very being and blames us. So it's almost like, even if we were to find a way to say, okay, most of it was their fault, there's this societal pressure that says it was also partially our fault. And this, you know, ideal that we might be this magical, powerful woman or self um, seems just hugely unattainable at that moment. And I mean, I don't know if I'm speaking well in a way that resonates with your experience. But that's what I've sensed so many times, Jasmine, when I'm talking to others in your very same shoes, is it's a teeter-totter of 
darkness. And some people want to say it's all of just one rabbit hole, but I say it's kind of a a two a two headed dragon. Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent because that is that everything you just said resonates with me very much because although I know it was his fault for doing what he did and I thought I was going to a safe home you still, in the back of my head, I was like, what could I have done to prevent this? Why did I drink so much? I self-blame. And now I know that it's not my fault. I've been able to look back and, you know, talking about my experience helps. But initially, I had so much self-blame. And I think that's what put me in such a dark spot because I blamed myself. You know, those moments of despair, and I'm not going to say I'm not there with you. <laughs> when I have piled on the survivor stories from anyone, it, just imagine like any one given night, I'm in front of like a thousand people and, you know, 10, 20, 30 people come up and share the same experience, um, same but different, all unique And at the end of that night, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't take it anymore. This is so much tragedy. It's so much pain. And there's no equivalent when we are personally I pronoun statements sitting in the darkest, lowest spot. And there's I know what I have to do to get on the next day's plane to go to the next world of survivors and sit on another stage I know that the only hope I have is that. But for me, Jasmine, it's like, I know that's tomorrow. I know it's tomorrow. There's going to be another stage. And when we are not seeing a tomorrow, it's really hard to find where we're going to go. And when you are sitting in that moment, how is it that you draw another breath that you see a small inkling of light can you describe how you pull yourself from that? What was it for you? It might be different for others, but what was it for you? I think for me, when I was going through it, I I wanted to survive it. I wanted to push through. I didn't want what happened to be my whole story. At one point, I realized this is just a chapter. And I am so much more than what happened to me. And how did you find that light one more time? When you're sitting in the darkness, how do you pull over that curtain to find that light? For me, I tried to think about the positive I had in my life. That also helped me. And I had a lot of moments where I was like, it's time to get up. I can't let this define me. And I had a lot of those moments where I hit my rock bottom and in those moments when I did feel, feel desperate and alone and hurt and betrayed, I had to remember this doesn't have to be all that I feel. I can take this and turn this into something good. And you're sitting there, I'm just envisioning you, and you say, I have to go on. When when someone says, I have to go on, I feel like there's a draw to a greater good, a greater responsibility. Um, my life still has meaning somewhere for someone. And that is critical. It's like still we're part of that. I almost think of the, the strings of a puppet. There's some sort of thing that can lift our right hand up in the air like a puppeteer. 
and say, oh my gosh, don't give up. There's a, there's something greater than you lifting that right hand up into the air to wave or to creep out. Um, So it sounds like to me, were you at at that point involved with the law enforcement or with um, family or what was your greater good pulling you out? I think it was both. I was going to school for law enforcement and I also had my family, you know, my family was very supportive and they were there for me and my mom and my friends. They just, everyone knew what was going on and I knew that I could count on them. I, that night that I had that moment where I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I wanted to kill myself. I had two really good friends with me and they were able to help pick me up. And even after that, in those moments of despair and darkness, I thought about all of the good that I could do Mm -hmm. and how I wanted to keep pushing. I didn't want this to be the end of my story. And even though I was hurting, I tried really hard to remind myself that this is temporary. There's so much more to me and my life than what is happening right now. Those are frail yet possibly the most powerful moments any of us will face as survivors. And you just described it so well. So thank you very much. Um, And I almost wish that any survivor listening to us when they get to that moment, if they do, that they, they turn us on and say, let's find this spot. Let's find this puppet hand pulling us up. Um, that we're not alone and we have, and you had your family and so many don't, but there's, there's always someone there's, there's someone. And sometimes it's even a stranger we've never met, but there's always someone. So thanks, Jasmine. It would be interesting to know when you say you're in law enforcement, what does that mean? Yeah. So I'm a crime scene investigator and I work with victims all the time. And although um, it's not always sexual assault, I just feel like I'm one of those people that I I have a warmth about me and I try to help people in general whenever they're going through something. And even working in law enforcement, I feel like it's so important to be able to be there for the victims and help them when you can. Sometimes you just need someone that's going to hear you out and listen and be there. And I think that probably for a lot of victims, regardless of what the cause of their victimization Mm -hmm. is, they're not necessarily expecting a crime scene investigator to be that <laughs> listening ear. So that, you know, that, that's um, really wonderful that you're able to do that. Yeah. Um, it must serve you in good stead as well um, when you're doing your work. What else, what has, has helped you with your healing process? I would say most importantly, my family and my friends, I'm, I have a good support system. And as I've, healed and gone through my process, I've opened up to more and more people. And I find that sharing your story with people when you're ready, it helps so much. Uh, Just to see, just to feel that support and that love from your family and friends. And another thing that I do that I picked up right after all of this happened is boxing. Um, For me, it was such a healing therapy because it was kind of giving myself like my own body back in a way, if that makes sense, being able to go and learn, okay, this is how you punch something. This is how you kick. And this is how you defend yourself if you need to. And gaining that strength and confidence back was huge for me. I still box. Um, it's 
it's my own therapy and it's been my therapy for years now. Did you ever do any kind of counseling or is it you just turn to you turn to the physical? Yeah, so I'm in counseling now. Um after I had after that incident happened, my assault happened with my ex, I actually stopped dating men for a very long time. Um and so more recently I started dating guys again and it has been triggering for me and I just started therapy up again, actually. And that's helping me a lot, just talking about everything that's happened. And therapy has been great. I wish I had gone to therapy and talked about it sooner because it's been helpful to go through the motions and talk about what happened and have someone hear it and communicate that. I'd like to rewind for a moment because you talked about how you you didn't have a good relationship with your mom and you'd been kicked out of your house and, and, but your mom was really supportive of you when you were assaulted. So can you talk a little bit about that and, and how her support of you, has that changed your relationship with her? Yes. So my relationship with my mom growing up was not the best. I, my mom had me very young And so it was like a child raising a child. You know, we were both young and we we were both trying to figure it out. Um, But as I got older and when I told her about the assault, we became closer. And my mom did also share with me that she was also assaulted through this. So she has also opened up to me. And I think that that's also brought us closer. And we have built our relationship so much over the last eight, nine years. And her support ever since that happened has been crucial to the motions of going through this. And I was very lucky too, because when I told my mom immediately, she wasn't like, well, what did you do? Or no blame. It was very quickly, honey, what do you want to do? What can we do? What do you need? And she was immediately there for me. And that support meant the world to me to know that no matter what has happened, my mom was there for me to push through and to do whatever she could to help me get through this. So so what I think, you know, Jasmine, is sometimes our moms, our parents push back, reject us because they haven't dealt with their own rape, abuse, assault, right? They're still blaming themselves. And when we tell them what we went through, they're still in that dark place where they're blaming their own selves. So they turn around and blame us. So what do you think it was about your mom that she was ready to not blame herself and ready to support you? Where had she had some therapy help, counseling, come to, how do you think she came to the place where she was to be able to support you? Um, I'd like to talk a little bit in the time we have left about things that still bother you. You know, we've, we talk with a lot of our survivors about things that are smells or sights or triggers and then how we navigate around those. Um, do you have any of those experiences now? Yeah, I think some of my triggers for sure. I feel like a lot of people aren't very aware of how often rape happens and, you know, people make jokes or they don't take it seriously, you know, you'll hear someone do a rape joke here or a rape joke there and they think it's funny. Um, 
And it's very frustrating because people don't realize how triggering that can be to someone. And they don't understand the severity of those words, you know, rape, assault, domestic violence. These are big words and they have a lot of meaning and a lot of pain behind them. So other than someone not, do you have any sensory triggers or like, you know, you described the situation where you had a lot to drink, um, you know, is alcohol something you steer clear of or you've come to turn with terms with or, you know, what about um, parties Mm -hmm. or any, you know, being in certain spaces? So drinking is definitely still a little bit of a trigger for me. And I do drink. But even when I do drink, I'm very careful about who I'm drinking around. I think that in the back of my head, I'm always like, if I have one more drink, is this going to be too much? Am I still going to feel okay? If I do get a little drunk or a little buzzed, am I around people that are safe? And that's something that I always think about. If I go out and I have a couple drinks and start to feel a little fuzzy, you'll see me drink five, six waters. I, you know, I start drinking a ton of water. I make sure that I'm very aware of how much I'm drinking and that I don't put myself in that type of situation again. Who I'm with, that's something that's always in the back of my head. If something happened, would I be able to protect myself? Am I putting myself in a bad situation? And what about um, current relationships? You said you'd started dating again. Do you have like a checklist for yeah. the good human who deserves to be with you? So I don't have a checklist, but, you know, a part of one of the things that I did take away from my assault when I am dating, a lot of the things that go through my head initially is, is this guy going to assault me? can he hurt me? Is he capable of hurting me? And for me, when I am dating someone, I think to myself, am I going to be comfortable sharing my story with this person? Because for me, with the person I'm with, it's so important for them to know what I've been through so they can be aware and cautious and understanding and, you know, be aware of what may be triggering. Um, But I do. The first thing I think of when I go on a date with a guy is, is could this guy hurt me? And when I do go on a date with a guy, I don't let them go grab a drink for me by themselves. I have to go with them. You know, I want to make sure my drink is safe. Now, if it's okay, I know that before when you broke up with um, your ex who assaulted you, you mm-hmm. were starting to date women. Mm-hmm. Were you also, um, were you thinking, you know, having to think about what would you tell them? Were you cautious in those relationships as well or you know it's interesting with women I never felt that way I it was very different with women I never had that fear of someone assaulting me or feeling unsafe I think because with women it very quickly you you bond and it's kind of like hanging out with your best friend so but, you know, like your girl best friend, you want to go get a pedicure. Or you eat. It's just a very different relationship. And I think that the way things happened with my ex made me scared of dating guys. Because just recently, I, I was with a woman for, I met her right after the assault. And I was with her for six, seven years. And so... Just this is very recent for me to be dating men again, which is why I've been so vocal about my assault now and trying to work through it. And as I'm working through it, I 
find it so important to also be a voice. Well, Claire, um, I, you know, I, I don't have much more to ask Jasmine. You've been amazing. Um, I think only where to from here and what advice do you have for others? My advice to others would be tell your story when it's ready and when you're ready. And, you know, it could start off with someone close to you or, you know, maybe just writing it down. And I'm not going to say that it's easy because it's hard. And you're talking about something so personal and so deep to you, but it's also so liberating to write down everything that happened to you and say it in, on your terms. It feels good. And maybe one day when you're ready, you can share with a bigger audience. But I do think it's important to remind yourself that what happened to you was a chapter. I've been there. I've been through it. And I've gone through the motions. I've hit my own rock bottom. And I am so grateful that I did not take my own life. And I'm grateful that I can sit here and tell you guys my story. Because it does get better. Like We are survivors. And we can make it through anything. So, Claire, I am so happy we interviewed Jasmine. Um, Jasmine, thank you for sharing all your journey with us and such an important part of that journey that can be so dark and troublesome. I think you're going to help so many come through those moments um, of darkness. So um, this has been a fantastic interview. And for our listeners, thank you for supporting Jasmine, for listening to her story. Um, and for journeying with us, this has been Katie Kessner, and thank you again. And this is Claire Kaplan, and just want to remind our listeners that you can re- get some information and resource information and learn about the legal support hotline at the takebackthenight.org website. We are never alone, and there are many walking with us in healing and in supporting survivors, as Jasmine can attest in her story tonight and in ending sexual violence. Thanks again. This is Katie Kessner and together with the Dear Katie podcast and all of our survivors and all of our listeners, together we will shatter the silence and end the violence. So thank you and we look forward to another episode with you next week.